Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. We're going to return in our study here this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Most recently, we've made our way as far as uh, the beginning of chapter 6. If you recall, not from this previous week, but two weeks ago now, uh, we began to to make our way through many of the different uh, instructions that Jesus begins to give here in the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with the Beatitudes, and then where Jesus goes from there is is bringing us into a place where uh, He gives us this pattern of saying, uh, you've heard it said that, or um, you've been taught that this is how you're supposed to live, or these are the things that you're supposed to do, but I say to you uh, this instead. Jesus takes us to a higher ethic. He takes what we, in our limited understanding or in our flesh, what we think sort of appeases the law, and He shows us what His standard is. And through the course of that, uh, we find that whether it's the idea of, of hatred sort of being the equivalent of murder or of looking with lust as the equivalent of, a, of adultery or uh, the significance of an oath and the significance of, of marriage, uh, the importance of, of loving others and, and loving your enemies, all of those different things bring us to a place where we could easily find ourselves saying, man, I just I don't measure up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not meeting His standard. But I think ultimately that's where He wants us to be. And that's where it brings us back to that passage in the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 3 where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come to a place where we are indeed poor in spirit, where we recognize that in us, there is nothing good. There's nothing that we have in and of ourselves to offer the Lord uh, that uh, achieves righteousness. Well, that's a good place for us to be because in that, we find ourselves depending on Christ and depending on His righteousness. And, and that, for us as believers, that, that's what it's about. It's about understanding that in us, there's nothing good and that it's only because of Christ and what Christ has done for us that we are made righteous. And so we can't go around in our own righteousness and our own pridefulness like the Pharisees, which Jesus addresses, where we think, oh, because I've, I've done this or because I do this, now I'm good enough. No, it's because of you, Christ, I've been made righteous. And so now we come into chapter 6, and we're going to go through uh, from chapter 6 and verse 1 through 18 here this morning. We're going to see three different examples of what I would call Pharisaic righteousness. So Jesus is going to continue to give us examples of individuals who sort of have a sense of self-righteousness and what that looks like, and then to give us instead how we ought to live our lives, what, what we should really look like, how we should really view these things. Three examples of Pharisaic righteousness, the first of which is really about charity, charitable giving, uh, almsgiving, 
uh, as it's referred to, and then prayer, uh, in particular, public prayer, as well as then fasting. So charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. These three things that were very important to Pharisees, things that they engaged in regularly and did so publicly as a way to sort of convey their own righteousness. And Jesus once again flips the script. He turns that upside down and he says, as it it relates to charitable giving, as it relates to prayer, as it relates to fasting, here's the way, not saying that these things aren't important, but here's the way in which you should do these things so that it's not an act of self-righteousness, but it comes from the right place. It's done from the heart. It's done in a way that's genuine um, and will ultimately give glory to God. And so let's go ahead, if you would, agree with me in prayer this morning as we uh, look to His Word. Father, we pause here this morning, and Lord, we're thankful again for how You bless us, Lord, how You uh, meet us right where we are and minister to us. And Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and that in the midst of many things going on, Lord, in our lives individually and corporately as a body and certainly in our country, Lord, that we have the opportunity to pause and and uh, just look to You and to spend time in Your Word together. Father, we pray that by Your Spirit, Lord, You give us understanding here this morning. Bless our time together. May it be fruitful. Uh, may it be pleasing to You, Lord. May the name of Jesus Christ be exalted uh, through our time together here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and read together verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6 here uh, to begin. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. Here's the first uh, example of Pharisaic righteousness that we come to. And this is charitable deeds or almsgiving as it's been referred to. This is the act of giving money to the poor. Um, We we have in Jewish texts uh, of the day uh, that the idea of charitable giving was absolutely something that was both encouraged and expected. Uh, But it wasn't necessarily encouraged out of the uh, kindness of one's heart, but rather that this was an important thing to do and, in fact, could even appease sin. Uh, And so uh, many people would engage in this, again, not because they necessarily had a heart for those who were less fortunate, though certainly uh, many likely did, but that uh, this was something that they needed to do in order to make themselves right. Compulsory giving. Now, we know uh, that, that Scripture tells us that we ought to care for one another, that we ought to have hearts to serve one another, to, to take care of, of needs that others have. I mean, this was even demonstrated uh, by Jesus and the disciples. They, too, kept a, a money bag that uh, they would have uh, money in there for themselves, for their own personal needs, and then would often give of that towards others to take care of, of others' needs. Now, it says here, Jesus, of course, says that when you do your charitable deed, don't do it before men to be seen by them. Uh, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have 
glory from men. Uh, so here we're sort of given this uh, example of, of individuals who, when they gave their, uh, their gift, when they did their charitable deed, that they sort of sounded a trumpet, that they did something that sort of announced what it is that they did to all of those around them. It's an interesting thing here because obviously Jesus describes this. He gives this example, but we don't have a whole lot of evidence that this was something that was done on a regular basis, uh, that people would give their charitable gift and then uh, sound an alarm or, or, or bang a cymbal or, or sound a trumpet. Um, but of course, this is what Jesus says. This is what he describes here. And so it, it seems to be the case that there was some aspect of celebration uh, something that was sort of announced when people would give uh, their gift. And, and right away, we ought to see here that, you know, what, what's the heart behind this? Naturally, if, if, if let's say, for example, um, if we were to begin passing the plate here on Sunday mornings, and uh, uh, every time somebody put the money uh, in the tray, which this has happened, in church history, that a bell would be rung, and that we would look at that person, and we would say, oh, look at you, so-and-so, what a, what a wonderful job, thank you for doing that. Now, what would likely happen then is more and more of you may feel compelled to, to give, because one, you don't want to be the person that's sitting there who's, who's not having some sort of celebration, right, because now it's communicating that you're not giving, you're not participating in this, and then maybe you'd be even that much more likely to give uh, more frequently, because you like the fact that everybody's cheering when you do that. And now what's the motive behind your giving? What's the heart behind your giving? Uh, well, it would very quickly become uh, the, the recognition that you get from men rather than doing what it is that you ought to do biblically out of obedience to Scripture and to the Lord. And, and that's ultimately uh, what, what tithing ought to be. And, and that's one of the reasons why we don't Pass the plate here. And I'm not suggesting that any church that does take up an offering is, is wrong in doing so. But the fact of the matter is, most people in the church here don't really have a sense of, of who tithes. Certainly how much. We don't put a lot of uh, attention on it. We, we don't foster an environment where people can uh, be really recognized uh, for their giving because it's intended to be between you and God. Now, Scripture does tell us here that God rewards it. The fact is, God does reward your charitable giving, um, whether that's uh, your tithe, which is biblical, uh, or whether that's uh, your offering above and beyond the tithe, your willingness to give of your own resources for the sake of others. God rewards that. God blesses that. I have no doubt that, that any of you that have made a regular practice of giving uh, that you have recognized how God blesses that. And especially if you've been thoughtful about making sure that uh, your giving is, is known only uh, by God. It's, it's limited. You've not sought notoriety. You've not sought recognition. That especially in those cases that God indeed blesses that. He, he rewards that. And that ought to be our hearts as we Give And so it says, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. And so uh, we get this idea here. Uh, Jesus says, don't, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Uh, give in such a way where you don't even, you don't even pay attention to it. 
Um, you're just doing it because uh, you have a heart to give that you know it's what pleases the Lord. And, uh, you know, having worked in nonprofit in a couple of different capacities, uh, I'm often amazed uh, by some people who give incredibly generously. I mean, amounts of money that you would never even, for some of you, you'd say, oh, my goodness, I don't, I don't even know what that kind of money is. And these people give of this and, and they don't want anybody to know. They don't want their name on a building. They don't want a plaque. They don't want it. They just know this is what I'm doing. I, I have a heart for this ministry. I want to give this money. The Lord's blessed me. I want to bless you. And it's always amazing to me. And then there'd be times when somebody would give me, uh, they would give the ministry uh, a sum of money that quite frankly, um, and I'm not knocking this, but was a relatively small amount of money. And they wanted everybody to know. They wanted the world to know. They wanted every kind of recognition. And of course, we would happily oblige. But it's just, it's so interesting. Uh, sometimes the differences that you see there. And sure enough, the one who is just giving and giving and giving and never wanting anything in return comes again and says, the Lord just keeps blessing me. And here you go. And uh, that's the heart that we're to have, to give uh, out of out of just a, a sense of obedience and desire to care for others. Now from here, Jesus goes from the act of, of charitable deeds, of, of charitable giving, and he moves into an area of prayer. And Jesus spends a good bit more time on this topic of prayer in this particular section. And he really comes at it in two ways. The first is in, in verses uh, 5 through 8, we really get a sense of here's how you're not to pray. And then in verses 9 through 13, it's really, and here's how you should pray. Uh, which is a wonderful thing for us. I love it when in Scripture... Uh, Jesus especially gives us instruction. Don't do it this way, but do it this way. So that there's really no mistaking it for us. There's really no question on uh, what should our prayer life look like. Uh, and so we begin, let's go ahead and read verses 5 through 8 together. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So again, in this first section here, we really have the way in which we are not to pray. Now, I, I love the way that the, this begins here in verse 5, in that Jesus says, and when you pray. Now, what's the implication there for you, Christian, this morning? It's the expectation or the assumption that you are going to pray. I think we can all agree that prayer is a, I don't even want to call it an art necessarily. I would say a lost art today, but um, that seems to suggest then that you've got to have uh, some special way in which uh, you know how to, uh, to, to pray. But that uh, prayer, is, prayer is an expectation. And I think for many Christians today, we, we fail to pray the way we ought to pray. Uh, we don't pray uh, consistently the way that we're supposed to pray. Um, and it's a habit, it's a routine in our lives that we've, we've really lost and we need to get back to. 
Jesus here says, when you pray, there is an expectation that you are going to pray. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Here's this word again, hypocrites, which hypocrite uh, comes from uh, the Greek word that was really an, an, an actor. Uh, back in the day, in this time when uh, they would wear a mask and they would pretend to be something that they were not. They were play acting. They were, they were pretending. That's what hypocrite is. And so Jesus here, whether it's uh, regarding the, the charitable deeds or whether it's, it's praying, it's saying, don't do it this way and pretend to be somebody that you're not. Don't put on a show. Don't be acting. You see, because God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows who we are. He knows our, our hearts and our minds right where we're at, which should ultimately be, even though that can maybe be a little bit of a scary thing to think, man, he, he knows me. But that should also be a wonderful thing because so much, so often in our lives, I think we're, we, we have a tendency to want to pretend, to play, to act like we're something that we're not for the sake of approval of others. And when it comes to the Lord, we need to understand, and there's no pretending. He knows. And so instead of trying to act like I'm something, that I'm not. Let me just go ahead and be real before I'm and transparent. And so he says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. Again, the reward here, whether you're giving money or whether you're praying in front of everybody in a way where people go, wow, look at, look at them. They know how to pray. Look how, look how spiritual they are. Uh, look how holy they are. Oh, if only I could pray like that. And you see, some people want that, right? They want that, 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 that people to see them and to think that about them. And guess what? That's their reward. That's it. They're not doing anything to please the Lord here. Rather, he says, but when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see, we are called to have hearts that are genuine, that are authentic. We're called to have a relationship with the Lord where it's really about, like, why are you praying? You praying because you want people to think you're, you're something special? Or are you praying because Jesus Christ made a way for you to boldly come before the throne of grace? Because you have a relationship with the Lord and, and you know how powerful it is to to pray, to come to Him, to communicate with Him. And that's ultimately what this is about. And so is that your heart? That you just long to be able to talk to your Father? And so you're supposed to go into secret, he says. Now, now this isn't saying that we can't have prayer gatherings. This isn't saying that if you pray and somebody hears you, that, that you're just wrong. Again, it gets to the heart. Like everything in the Sermon on the Mount, it's about the heart. And... Uh, and so here Jesus encourages, go into a secret place. Go, just get away with the Father. Jesus, of course, gave us a pattern for that. He regularly, regularly got away and sought the Father. And then he says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And so this is about chanting. This is about a, a scripted prayer that you just sort of recite over and over again without really a, an authentic heart behind it. Um, and we see this. I mean, we see this type of prayer in, in all sorts of pagan religions, okay, 
where it's just a, a recitation of something. It's just it's reciting these things over and over again. It's not a prayer. It's not really communicating with God. Now, you think about parents uh, or kids who go to, to your parents. How, how do you think the relationship would feel uh, between you and a, and a father or a, a father to a child if when you went to talk, uh, you just sort of recited the same words over and over every time? Hey, hey, son, how are you? Well, I'm good, Dad. It's, it's great to see you, and uh, I love you, and thank you. Goodbye. And every time you go to have a, a conversation, well, I'm good, Dad. It's good to see you. I love you, and, and thank you, and goodbye. And just over and over and over again. It was only, only that. Only that. And, and you would find yourself going, man, there's no relationship here. And I don't know what's going on uh, in their life, and they, don't, they clearly don't, they don't trust me, and they don't want to share what's going on in their lives. And the difference, of course, with God the Father is He knows. He knows all these things. And sometimes we just want to pretend like he doesn't. Uh, and so we need to foster an authentic relationship and, and to open ourselves up and to seek him. And we don't do that through just vain repetitions. No, we talk to him. And, and the wonderful thing here, one of the most encouraging things here, is what we read then in verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And so that's a wonderful encouragement there too, that as we seek the father, we can have the confidence of saying, Lord, you know what I have need of. It's not even that I need to come to you and tell you everything that I think I have need of, but rather I can come to you and say, Lord, I don't even really know. I don't even fully understand, Lord, what it is that I need, but Lord, I know that you do. Lord, you have perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge. You've created me and you know me. And so when you come to him, you can spend time worshiping him, getting to know him more, and then just laying yourself bare before him and saying, Lord, teach me. Show me. Give me wisdom. Help me, Lord, to see what it is that I need. Lord, I'm foolish. Oftentimes, Lord, I convince myself that I need something and I, and I don't need it. Lord, would you show me? Would you teach me? And so spending time in prayer and allowing Him to give you the desires of your heart, to put things in your life, to show you, to reveal things to you. That's an incredible encouragement for us here. In fact, that should be, that should be a verse that is just... Uh, that, that should be one of your key verses that, that, that you just hang on to, is that as you come to your Father, you can trust that He knows the things you have need of before you even ask. Now, here's the wonderful thing then, and of course we come now to a passage of Scripture that in and of itself, interestingly enough, has become a vain repetition, and that's not what it was intended to be. But it's almost as if here in this moment, in uh, elsewhere in the Gospels, we sort of get insight in this, is that in this moment as Jesus is saying, don't pray like this. When you pray, get away, be quiet, go before your Father in secret. And it's, it's as if at this moment the, the disciples say, well, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, would you, would you show us how it is that we're supposed to pray? And, and that's a question um, because we, we see that elsewhere in, uh, in, in Luke, I believe, in Luke chapter 11, I think is... is um, let's validate that here real quick. Yep, in Luke chapter 11. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, say. And so here we have an example. Uh, we have insight elsewhere that, that this really is the disciples' inquiry into how exactly they should pray. So we know then that Jesus is saying, this is the manner in which you're to pray. This is a pattern for prayer. And we're going to go ahead and um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it through uh, verse 18 here. Uh, but look at, this, look at this pattern, okay? Again, not a vain repetition, but rather the manner in which you're to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Listen, here at the very beginning, this pattern of prayer begins with praise. Now, the expectation is that you are praying, that Christian, you are developing a prayer life. And in that prayer life, are you giving the Lord praise? This is how your prayers should begin. And it doesn't mean that it has to begin with some special words. It's not that you have to come up with some, you know, right group of words to convey how awesome God is, but that you just tell Him that. You see, this is often what's missing in the church of America today. That Jesus gives us a pattern of prayer that says, Hallowed be your name. That when you come to the Lord in prayer, are you aware of the fact that, that someone died? so that you can do that? That Jesus gave His life so that you can come to the Father in prayer? You see, we've lost a sense of how great His name is. We've lost a sense that as we come into churches today and we come desiring to worship, if even people want to do that, do you even come to church wanting to worship? Or do we get caught, caught up too much in, in what the music's like and whether there's too much drum or too much piano? Or whatever else it may, you know, are we, are we, are we, too, are we like Bethel or, or are we like uh, the Gaither Band? And, uh, you know, what, 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 what's the deal here? And all of our different styles and all of our different preferences. And, and we get so caught up in that that we forget the fact that for us to even come into the presence of God was bought with a price. That in times past, if we wanted to get so much as to, to even, even get a, a, a sense of being in His presence, that it would mean our lives. And guess what? That is the same God. The same God then is the same God today. The difference is Jesus died to reconcile us to Him. And so when we come to worship, when we come into His presence, do we have a sense of how significant that is? That's what we ought to have. We need a renewed and refreshed sense of, of the fear of God, of all of His presence. We've lost that, sadly. Now from there it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two things here. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Lord, it's not about what I want in this world. It's about I want your kingdom. I want your ways. I want your will. Do you long for that in your prayer life? Do you see, your prayer life ought to begin with just an aspect of praise and recognition of who God is, of how great He is, of how perfect His plan and His purposes and His will is, and to say, Lord, I don't want, I don't want it my way. I want it your way. But so often we come to God and we say, Lord, this is what I want and this is the way that I want it. But our prayer life ought to be marked by a healthy reverence for who He is and a desire for His kingdom and His plans. And it's only then, only after those three things, do we then even move into what our needs are. But as Jesus talks about us addressing our needs, look at what He talks about. Give us this day our daily bread. And I do believe this is food. This is about nourishment. But it's about an understanding of, Lord, just give me what I need today. It's not about plenty. Not about so much. 
that I'd forget that I need you, Lord, or so little that I'd be tempted to, to profane your name. But Lord, just give me what I need. Care for me today. And furthermore, Lord, forgive us our debts. This is really that a forgiving, or excuse me, a forgiven people should be forgiving. If Jesus died for all men, then how can we possibly withhold forgiveness from one who Jesus says, I died to forgive them? And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is really about, listen, there's going to be temptation in our life. Jesus himself was driven out into the wilderness to endure temptation, but it was the word of God that delivered him from it. And so it should be for us about, Lord, deliver me from it. May the enemy not overtake me. Uh, Lord, give me wisdom, give me strength, give me endurance. Lord, help me to live a life that's pleasing to you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's a wonderful doxology that was likely put in there later on. Fact is, the original text didn't have that. The prayer ended there at deliver us from the evil one. And so this is such a simple, basic pattern of prayer, but so profound. And it ought to characterize and inform our own prayer life. Now, Jesus from there moves on in verses 14 and 15, and again addresses a little bit this idea of forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wonderful. Okay, make a check next to that there, a little star, an asterisk to say, look, here's how it works. You forgive men their trespasses, your Father's going to forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because what you're doing there is saying, Lord Jesus, I know that you died for them, but, uh, you know, I, I've got my reasons. I, I can't forgive them. Well, that's just foolishness right there. And it's going to put you in a situation where you're not in right standing with God. Now, finally, Jesus ends here on fasting. Three things again, uh, th three examples of Pharisaic righteousness, charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. And so this final piece is about fasting. And Jesus says, moreover, when you fast, now again here, uh, the assumption is that you're going to fast. So there's not a biblical mandate in the New Testament saying we have to fast. Jesus obviously assumes that we're going to, that this is a practice that... that uh, <clears throat> we're going to participate in. And again, do not be like the hypocrites, those who are pretending to be something that they're not, who with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. So again here, you've got somebody who, who's engaging in fasting. Why? Because, well, biblically speaking, because they're, they're seeking something from the Lord. They're, they need wisdom. They need direction. Uh, so they're, they're engaging in prayer and fasting, waiting on the Lord to confirm something in their lives. But if in that time they go around sort of a long face and, oh, you know, I'm pretty weak right now and, and uh, you know, I'm fasting and um, aren't I pretty special and uh, aren't you impressed by me because I'm in, I've got these spiritual disciplines. Well, that's foolish. That's your reward right there. The person who says, wow, look at you. That's it. That's your reward, right? Rather, Jesus is saying, no, when you fast, man, throw some water on your face, put some makeup on, make yourself look all right. And when you go out, man, have energy. Nobody needs to know that you're fasting. Only God needs to know that so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Three examples of Pharisaic righteousness. Three ways in which, though, maybe we could even come up with some different examples that are a bit more applicable to our culture today. And, and sadly, we probably shouldn't, right? But the fact is, you know, people don't necessarily uh, go about declaring anymore that they're fasting. Um, that's not, a, a, not necessarily a common thing. But we do go about with our various religious activities, seeking to make people think that we're maybe something that we're not. Looking for approval from men, from people to say, wow, you're really a good person. And looking at that as our righteousness. 
instead of saying, no, I'm poor in spirit. There's nothing good in me. The only righteousness that I have is that which comes from Christ through the work of, of His death and resurrection, His, His working in my life. It's His righteousness that I want. And so in all these different ways, that I seek to be obedient to Scripture through, yes, giving and seeking the Lord and in times in prayer and all these different things, that I do it in such a way where I allow the Lord to just minister to me. It's not about me and other people. It's not about what other people think. It's about me fostering a relationship with God, enjoying that intimacy with Him, allowing His righteousness to be upon me and trusting that as I foster that relationship, as I do those things, that there is a reward for me in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount, all of this, as we'll continue it again next week for the next couple of weeks. Again, it's about looking at things differently. And so let's pray that by the Holy Spirit, that the Lord would give us eyes to see. And He would help us to truly make these things our life. To not allow our lives to be conformed to, to the pattern of this world, but transformed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, once again for your word. Lord, help us to live our lives in this way. For we know we're not perfect, nor can we be this side of heaven. But Father, we strive to be, to love others the way that you love them, Lord, to live our lives the way that you want us to live it in a way that brings you glory. Help us with that, Lord, we pray. And so, Father, help us to apply your word to our lives. And by your spirit, bring transformation, Lord. May we be a people who are set apart, who stand out in this world, Lord, as different, but for your glory. Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you thanks, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.